This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are back to discuss the ultimate episode of Season 3 of The Chosen. <laughs> I'm tracking with you now. <laughs> I got it. Pin ultimate, ultimate. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, it was so hard for me to keep quiet last episode. We need to just jump right in today. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we start off in 990 BC, and David enters with his queen, and she's not named. I don't know, because we're, we're, we see Psalm 77 in this. Yeah, is there, any, is there anything we should know about that? Not, man, I don't know if it helps us with timeline and knowing which queen. 990, for me, feels a little early to be Bathsheba, but I don't know if there's any tradition, Jewish tradition or history, but tradition surrounding when that happened. Um, of course, Solomon is old enough to be charged with, uh, man, I, I honestly, I don't know, but um, is she, she didn't say anything. So she, her name isn't pop into the, I always watch for the captions. Cause then I can see yeah, yeah, yeah. What they, when they talk who it is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I kind of wondered the same thing. Um, Cause if it's not Bathsheba, there were other wives, and it could have been Michal. It could have been, uh, I think he had a handful. So yeah, who knows at this point in his story. Could have been Abigail, I guess. Well, she is uh, sitting on the throne or on a throne next to David on the throne. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, the camera does cut to her quite a bit. You know, lots of looks, lots of uh, references, and she is pregnant in this episode. So, And I think that's why I assumed Bathsheba, because I assumed she was probably pregnant with Solomon, not the child that they lost. But that's just where my brain immediately just went, oh, she's pregnant with Solomon. There, There is the whole thing in the shop, but who knows? So David asks Jaduthun, Yaduthun, I don't know, uh, and Asaph about some song that they have in progress. And uh, Asaph shares his idea for a spoken verse over the humming from the choir and then goes on to recite a good chunk of Psalm 77. And uh, yeah, Psalm 77 does say at the beginning, uh, for Jeduthun of Asaph or whatever. So all of the appropriate names are there, like good stuff. Yeah, I and, and the more I watch this episode, the more I really appreciate what what they're doing with um with the whole uh yeah just the whole how they've worked us into the story this episode the very first time i didn't have any anchors now that i know where the episode's going man do i really appreciate what they did here with the with the with the episode anchors good one marty ha ha <laughs> unintentional ladies and gentlemen unintentional <laughs> okay so then we have the credits Now, Jesus is uh, with the growing crowd. He asks his disciples to sit down, and they're very like, what? (laughs) We're already outnumbered. Do you want us to sit down to make us even more vulnerable? And uh, Jesus is talking about how, you know, we're going to ask questions. You know, we're going to argue if we want, but we're going to talk. We're going to solve problems that way. And starts talking to them about faith. This is where he brings in uh, faith of a mustard seed. Um, the, I mean, just, I mean, not even the first, like Psalm 77 is already in there, but like, like we're getting hit hard with the text and early, like, like we're just going to get all the stories going on here. Oh yes, absolutely. Teaching is going to abound even more than the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, yeah, (laughs) we're covering covering a lot of stuff. Uh, a man, uh, approaches the group with a broken leg. Uh, apparently it's been broken and infected for long enough that he's just has like a, you know, 30 foot radius of horrible smell following him around. Yeah. And Jesus is unconcerned by this, goes up and heals him. Uh, the guy embraces him and then he breaks his crutch over his knee and runs away. Yeah. Uh, I wonder where, where he's going. Um, Jesus makes a comment like, you know, in normal circumstances, I would tell you not to tell anybody about this, but I think we're beyond that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how they, that's how they wove that together. Cause immediately off of the last episode, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now everybody is hanging out here. You're not going to heal this guy. Obviously he's going to the way they're setting up the scene. And I'm like, how, if you want to keep this a secret. And so then they just kind of like, you know, just 
brushed it off. I guess it's too late for that, but it's how they were able to weave so many different stories together and different ideas. Uh, not how I see it historically, but again, I'm I'm good with it, to be honest. I don't know why I'm so good with it, but I'm I was fine. <laughs> I, I think I just love the idea of Jesus taught these lessons in a lot of different places. And I, the Gospels place them in different places, personally. I think that's actually an objective truth. Like these lessons, some of these lessons are portrayed by the Gospel writers, not in the Decapolis, not in this kind of setting. Some of these teachers are coming from the Temple Mount later on in the final week. Um, but I, you know, if you would have followed me around on book tour, you would have heard me teach some of the same lessons about 10, 11, 12 times, um, just have the same conversations. I think that's how it probably was with Jesus. He probably taught these stories, these parables, these teachings in multiple settings. So for me, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm totally good with it. I, it's like I thought he, I think he told that story or that teaching only one time and only there. So I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy runs away. And uh, after the crowd picks their jaws up off the ground, they all sit down and start listening to Jesus. Uh, so then we're back with Eden and she comes home to find Zebedee and Salome and Mary there. And uh, they ask Eden what's going on. She tries to play it off. Um, Salome makes, this is where she makes that comment about a lot has changed in the last couple of years, in the last two years specifically. And Zebedee says, Simon, you know, has tried to be better than his father. Yeah. I thought that was a cool way to, yeah, I liked that. Yeah. And Eden, you know, is trying to, trying to share at this point. And Mary notices Eden is kind of like holding her stomach yep. and Salome picks up on some stuff as well. And, and so she asks, uh, she asks Zebedee to leave <laughs> and yeah, right. uh, he goes out, outside and he finds the broken pot and is picking up pieces from that. I'm not sure if they were trying to say something with, with the way he was looking at the pieces, if he was seeing something, I didn't catch whatever was going on there maybe. Yeah. I think you can hear their voices in the background too. So I think he's listening and he's putting pieces together. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there you go again. again, Marty. I did it again. It's just coming naturally today. Um, but I think he is, you know, realizing where Peter's at. I think it's their way of saying Zebedee doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be informed. He's sure. He's, yeah. he's getting it. Um, so Mary asks Eden about, you know, what Eden has done as far as the purification rituals. And Eden said, you know, she tried that. It didn't help. She tries comparing herself to Veronica and the joy that she had from her healing. And, and then Salome asks Eden, you know, about talking to a rabbi. Eden just wants to talk to Jesus, but he isn't here. Simon isn't here either. And Mary's like, well, you know, it's not really about, it's not really about, the rabbi it's about the words of god that they're gonna share with you so like let's just go let's just go try it like you need to spend some time grieving you, you should go to the synagogue like you gotta you gotta go walk through these steps like you're done being alone on this journey like you gotta you gotta work through this yeah i there are a couple notes i had in that scene obviously i loved the the community you know i mean finally we got eden in community like the community is showing up for her and is around her. And like we said in the last episode, I think that's probably that historically speaking in their context, I, I don't think, I think it would have been far more present in her life at every level. And yet this is allowing us as modern people to relate to their story in a more relatable way. So I can appreciate that. I did when I heard this, I did like, did I start to roll my eyes when they're like, well, you should go talk to a rabbi. And I went, oh, here we go. Playing the, you got to go find your pastor and your church card. But hang on to that because I'm going to have some very interesting things to say about that when they do uh, end up going and having this conversation. But definitely, <laughs> definitely, a, you know, I work with a lot of young adults and There'd be a whole lot of skepticism and a whole lot of eye rolling and a whole lot of, have you talked to your pastor? I'd be like, oh, please. Um, and uh, and for good reason, but I, I'll just put a pin in that comment and resolve it later <laughs> okay. in the episode. So then we see uh, the crowd is growing ever larger. We have Roman soldiers wandering around at this point. Uh, there's conversation 
between the groups about land and construction and tribal laws and religions and everything else. Uh, James and John take offense at some point and uh, they <laughs> jump up and Jesus is like, the last thing these people need is thunder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the, one of the guys quotes Jeremiah six, Jesus rebuts that with Isaiah 43. Yeah. He says, don't let the prophets, you know, don't, don't pit the prophets against each other. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Right. That principle doesn't work. <laughs> if, uh, if the first person that gets to proof text something is the one who wins, like, wait a minute. Right, you know? right. <laughs> but I did appreciate a, the text, even with what I would call more Hellenistic Jews. Um, and the point that there's legitimate, like, uh, well, I think was... we probably watch, watch over this, but there's, there's legitimate biblical, you know, whatever I'm trying to say, like, uh, they even say this about the parable. Those are legitimate reasons to not come to the banquet. He's got legitimate textual biblical theology behind his position. And I, I think that's where a lot of Christians would find ourselves today. We got legitimate reasons to be doing the things that we do to have the positions we have. And I wonder half the time if Jesus would be like, yeah, okay, enough with your legitimate positions. You completely missed the point. Well, and I didn't write this down. I don't know if this was in this episode or the last one, but I feel like maybe it was Andrew said something about, I think when they were telling about what groups of people were there, he, I feel like somebody said something about the people who follow Jeremiah. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, no, there's, um, yeah. Absolutely. I never thought of that, Brent. Or who live by the words of Jeremiah or something like that. Yeah, or Isaiah. Actually, it was a, I think the comment was in reference to Isaiah. Um, I, I, uh, and there, there, I was two, like I, there was two different comments. Yeah, I feel like I remember a comment about people who follow Jeremiah or the way of Jeremiah, or the words of Jeremiah or something like that. Yeah. But maybe Isaiah too. Yeah, I was definitely remembering a similar comment about um, Isaiah. And historically speaking, that's a great observation, I, I didn't catch until you just said that because, yeah, I, the Jewish people definitely clung to. I mean, we talked about in session two. We could even link the episode in the show notes. The, um, uh, the prophetic table where we imagine this lively prophetic debate where the prophets kind of argue with each other about what the appropriate response is, and the people of God would have clung to particular prophetic schools, like they would have been Jeremiah voice. Uh, adherence and people that clung to the words of Isaiah more. And so I, I didn't really think about that until you brought it up, but that's actually very well placed for them and a good, a good grab on your part. Well, I mean, I only grabbed it in this conversation, Marty. I didn't catch it earlier, but I'm, I'm glad it was floating around in my brain. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, at, at some point, Leander asks like, why do you inspire some and threaten others? And, uh, Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, here we go. Uh, and so he goes into the the parable of the sower and um, people start to call out that they can't hear him. And so the disciples are sent out as repeaters for for the message. Um, and so, you know, it's a, we see them in the next scene. Uh, they are like Jesus is talking and they're, you know, couple hundred feet away and they're repeating it to the people behind them and everything. Uh, sure. That seems like a good solution to, uh, the constant question of, I mean, I think I've always been like, well, oh, well, Jesus just had a holy microphone and speaker system that nobody could see or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes I've seen the explanation like, oh, they must've been in an amphitheater sort of setting, uh, because you can project to a very large area if you're in the right spot. Yep. Um, yep. And so I think this is another good solution for that. So why not? Yep. Uh, then we see the man on the horse, Nashon. He comes upon a shepherd on the road. She comments that he's not wearing any tassels. And he's like, oh, you know, that's... Uh, you know, I, I don't follow that fashion. We don't do that where we are. Yeah. Literally, that's not the style yeah, yeah. in <laughs> Hellenistic culture. I was like, oh, my goodness. That is so Herodian Hellenistic. I love that. Absolutely. And she's like, well, you're going to need him for Jerusalem. <laughs> and he's like, ah, I don't <laughs> have time right. for that. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, a storm's coming. He's like, yep, I got to go. Uh, so that will definitely come back to bite him. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so Shmuel is awoken at night and Nishon is waiting there and Shmuel immediately asks about the tassels. 
like in a in a give him a way out sort of way like oh you that's a long ride your tassels must have fallen off and he's like oh yeah uh they must have shoot <laughs> and so Shmuel has the other guy go get him you know a loner pair of tassels and then the guy's trying to explain his story and Shmuel's like well, tell me about your vest and he's like oh it's this it's this thing from Damascus it's uh it's woven silk and linen and and he's Shmuel's like no you gotta take that off you gotta take that off <laughs> yeah this guy's trying to like and it's funny because Shmuel is just like so desperately talking to anybody and everybody for any information about Jesus this guy finally shows up with information about Jesus and Shmuel cannot yeah. get over yeah that's right the lack he's of about tassels, ready to miss the... it because yeah because of his own religiosity absolutely yeah so Nishon Nishon makes this comment about like, oh, I thought those laws were just about like not imitating the cultures of the time. Like that was, you know, that was for back then. And Shmuel's like, no, Torah's timeless. And like this, you know, the guy takes his vest off, like eventually gets his story out, finally shares about Jesus. And like, as soon as there's any indication of like, oh, this is definitely the right guy. Shmuel just like bolts out. <laughs> the yeah, guy's like, yeah, that's enough. I need no more. Yeah. The guy's standing there like half of his clothes off. And he's like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. I th- like, I thought I was reporting something, but apparently I was doing something way more intense than I thought I was. And of course, Atticus is there to, you know, immediately pop in for his typical cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atticus is outside with Nishon's horse. <laughs> and he just like... <laughs> Runs through the whole thing, which again, I think illustrates perfectly the uh, Hellenism of this guy. Like, oh, you've got this this uh, thing from here and this other thing from here. He recognizes all this stuff. He knows where the leather's from. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Atticus is very savvy. Um, and then, uh, of course, gets, gets some information out of him. And then uh, we do see Atticus later following the, uh, the, what would you call it? The cart? Yes. The carriage yep. that, uh, Yanni and Shmuel and Ozem are in. And, uh, so Atticus is not really like subtly following them, but I mean, I don't, yeah, it's just a road. Like there's going to be people on the road. So, I, but yeah, so Jesus is, uh, at this point teaching into the night, uh, it was nighttime when, when, uh, Nashon arrived and, and spoke with Shmuel. So then we're back with Jesus. He's teaching into the night going through Matthew 11, and uh eventually he's like okay well it's it's late we got to we got to go get some sleep even i need sleep um and matthew and judas are discussing the numbers he's like hey did you did you count and matthew's like oh i think there were just as many over here as there were over there so that's got to be a couple thousand and they start talking about food and simon is not really taking to his position as linchpin for the success of this trip. He's like, Oh, if Jesus wants to do something, he'll do it. Like, don't worry about it. Yep. But again, we have lots of text going on there. Um, let's see. Well, let's, we, we, uh, we do see the Pharisees arguing about, um, various things. Like one guy makes the, I think it's Ozem makes a comment about the ungodly hour. And I can't remember who says what necessarily, but like, Oh, there's no such thing as an ungodly hour. And you know, it's about, about cert like we're being away from our families and he's like well we're serving god we're serving our families by serving god uh lots of arguments about like whatever um at one point yanni says i wrote this one down um he says fidelity to god's law to the letter is the only thing that matters to you and yet here you are complaining about actually having to act upon that conviction <laughs> i'm like whoa <laughs> yeah and the diversity of yeah there's theological diversity in that whatever you want to call it that carriage that cart like these three pharisees have three definitely divergent ideas of same commitment same general worldview different ways of holding it and pursuing it and i appreciated that they could have depicted like three guys all of the same mind and yet there's this tension of how they pursue this self-righteousness or this religiosity and and, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like Shmuel is newer to the crew. So he's, you know, he's getting commented about that and his seniority and his, you know, his lack of respect for where he falls in the pecking order. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, well, we're, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Like we should be focused more around Jerusalem and Yanni's like, oh, so it's only a sin if it happens in or around Jerusalem. He's like, well, no, not that, but like we got to, there's just, yeah, lots of, 
lots of conversation and arguing about that. Um, really great. But ultimately Yanni says, you know, we will have to take action if we get there and we find like magic tricks and sorcery going on. And, uh, there's some comment about like, Oh, that it's, I, I haven't dealt with a magician in a while or something like that. Sorcerer in a while. I yeah. 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 Um, so then Andrew is wandering through the crowd. He's trying to find food and Telemachus offers something. Uh, Telemachus is the son of the man who was deaf and mute that Jesus healed. Oh yeah. Right. And so the disciples go to Jesus and they're asking him about food. And I loved this little, I love this little, little God goggles throwing us, uh, throwing us a bone here. Judas is like, you knew they were hungry. And Jesus says, yes, Judas, I can see them while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that, but that's good. Uh, I love that so much. <laughs> so then Andrew comes up, uh, with the with the offering of the five loaves and two fish, and Jesus uh, lifts the bread up and prays and tells the disciples to start distributing the food. And Thomas looks at Jesus and he's like, "This feels a little familiar." And they kind of like share a little a little look there. And um, Jesus tells them to get. Does he tell them to get twelve baskets, or does he just tell them to get baskets? I think he tells them to get 12 baskets, right? Yeah. Yep. So they bring all the baskets together and set them down. And, uh, and then they go to pick them up and realize that they're all heavy. So they're totally full. Um, and Simon actually looks upset at this point because I think Simon was like, I mean, this is such a brief moment, but Simon was like, like, you're not gonna like, now that I know what's going on, I know you have to know what's going on because you know everything. Yeah. And so are you going to, are you really going to ignore me and continue to do things for these people? Or are you going to, you know, focus on your people? Yeah. There's a brief exchange. I can't remember if it's with John or James or somebody right, right before Thomas says, well, this feels familiar. There is an exchange where I think one of the most defining lines of um, just personally, just on a personal level, I, I think it's a defining line for the content of where we're at in the story, season three, um, This, especially this episode. If nothing more, this episode is a major theme. Somebody says something to Peter, and he says, I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid he'll choose them. Um, oh, yeah. And that line, I mean, that article, it's going to come up with Shmuel later, like, there is something about being one of the themes in this episode that I appreciate so much. When you're on the inside, when you're a part of the community that claims to know Jesus and speak for Jesus, so much about where we're at in our culture, socially, politically, all those things right now, there is this angst about what I'm what I'm going to lose. Like there is this um that Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. It's very specifically not what I'm going to lose. It's what they are going to gain. Like, and yes, it's related to Peter. Like, yes, Peter's like, I've already lost. But he's more concerned that Jesus is going to choose them than his own experience and his own path in this moment. And that's going to obviously become a part of this episode. But like that theme shows up about three or four times in the rest of this episode where my concern is about, well, I think it's already shown up. It, it was, it was big James last episode talking about this isn't supposed to be with the Gentiles. No, Tamar, you're not like, you're not like them, but he should be, he should be focused on us. Um, I, I think that's just where we find ourselves in this cultural moment. Like one group is afraid that by lifting up another group, by blessing another group, that means that somehow, we lose rather than everybody wins. So that that line I thought was just really well written and well delivered by the Simon character. Yeah, really great. Um, so then we're back with Eden and her mother. And they're visiting Yusuf. And the mom is like, I mean, I, I think in the sense that she is her mom, she's kind of like, a little bitter and a little like protective and whatever, um, which is fine. I get that as a mom, but I feel like we just don't know her character enough. And it just felt a little unearned, um, her and like her attitude didn't even last like it, like she just doesn't have any lines later on in the scene. So it's like, she's, she comes in hot and then 
kind of gets shut down a little bit and then just doesn't ever say anything. Like, it's just kind of a weird, weird thing with the mom. Yeah, she's playing the part of Jewish matriarch. Um, and she's also giving voice to what I was articulating before, whether it was intended or the reason that they have her doing this, I don't know. But, like, she's playing the part of, you know, the eye roll, the, hey, have you talked to your pastor? Like, ugh. Like, we open the scene and she's almost represents for me this, like, I did not think this scene was going to be... I mean, I was glad it was Yusuf. Like, I was like, okay, uh, uh, we can at least like, we're, we like his char- character, but I did not, like, I did not go in, I did not think this scene was going to end in a positive light. And, and they nailed it. The, the characters nail it within the storyline, but the chosen writers, like they nailed it. Here's Phariseeism done right. Like, this is what the Pharisees could have been. Like Yusuf nails it. He plays the role. He pastorally cares for her. He uses text and not in a demeaning way, not in a, but he sees her. He meets her where she's at. He gives her a psalm that could be beneficial and useful. He doesn't patronize her. He doesn't, he lets her feel the things she needs to feel. He gives space for, like, he just nailed it. And I was like, yes, this is, this is what we hope for. And I know that it's not what many of us, most of us have experienced. The have you talked to your pastor is not the optimistic play that I would want to be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I'm, that's where my hope lies. And yet when it's done correctly, when your pastor or a Pharisee or whoever understands what their call is as a spiritual leader, it can be so healing I just thought like, oh, I'm so glad that they are taking moments to show some Pharisees doing it correctly, some Pharisees nailing it. Like, it's just so well, it's well done. I didn't even do that good of a job. (laughs) You can even link my addendum video on Pharisees, Brent, in the show notes. Like, I had to make an addendum video because I did such a poor job portraying what the chosen is portraying very well, and I wouldn't even expect them to, which is that the Pharisees were not a monolithic group. There were many different opinions, and the Pharisees will, after Jesus, end up heading in the direction Jesus kept encouraging them to head. Like they will, they will end up nailing it. And so I just, uh, I really liked that scene. That scene was so uh, redemptive for me. Like it was like, yes, actually, I. I don't know why I was expecting this scene to be so negative, but they got it. At least for a moment, they got it. And I really appreciate how Yusuf walks her through. Like he asks almost immediately, like, are you angry with Simon? And of course she is. Like we've all seen that she is. Yes. Yes. Um, but she says that out loud, I think for the first time. And so like. And no condemnation. No, like look of disappointment. Just look of empathy. Yep. And, um, you know, he offers her the chance to to do her cleansing ritual in their newly restored mikvah, makes a comment that, you know, Simon was actually a part of restoring our water. So, like, you know, even though he's not doing yeah, what you yeah, would have yeah, hoped yeah. that he's doing, like, he is doing something that is helpful to you. Yep. Um, but he doesn't, like, he doesn't, like, shove that down her throat and say, like, oh, he, well, he was doing that, so you should just not have a problem with him, like, Yep. Like he just like gently reminds her like, Hey, Simon's been a part of this, even though it's not how you thought it was going to look. Yep. Um, then her mom cuts in and asks for something from Torah, something joyful. And Yusuf is like, I don't know if that'd be truthful. He offers Psalm 77 instead. And while he's reading from Psalm 77, we see Simon distributing food to the crowd and you know, they, they finish with that food and, um, you know, they're just, they're just talking about like the miracle of it. And I mean, John makes the comment, you know, it's always this way. I don't know why I'm surprised. And I'm thinking, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know why you guys are surprised either. <laughs> like, why yeah. are you not paying attention? <laughs> but I mean, that's true. Like that's, that's how it's, uh, that's how it's written in many cases. It's like, uh, especially two years in, like, why are you guys surprised? I don't know. They don't know either. Nobody knows why they're still surprised. Um, but Simon and Jesus look at each other at this point, and uh, Simon is standing there with a full basket of food, and he throws it on the ground. And uh, yeah, man, 
the Pharisees arrive at this point, the crowd is dispersing. Um, they start asking questions. They first approach, uh, I, I'm a, I don't know, some sort of leader, but it was, part, it was one of those guys from the Syrophoenician group that we met in the last episode. Well, they first, they first encounter, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Leo. Oh no. Leander's second. Oh, Le- oh is Leander second? Is that after yeah. the Syrophoenician? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they're asking questions about this guy and they, and they're like, oh, well we need two more witnesses. And then they, and like, there's people everywhere, but they're, they seem to be looking for like somebody who seems important or something. I don't know. Um, but they, they come upon Leander and, um, he's explaining all the stuff and they call out Jesus for blasphemy. And Shmuel's like, Oh no, 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 no. Hold on. We need one more witness. I like Leander's line. Um, as they're trying to like parcel this out and he says, we've heard each other. Like they're claiming he, you know, he's leading to all this hurt for the Jewish way. And he's, you know, Leander's saying we've heard each other, but he is healing us. The irony is as they reject that there's this deep seated division, um, that isn't healed in that very moment, but, but they're missing out on the healing that's being offered. Not not literal, not physical healing, but like this spiritual internal Jewish turmoil between these different philosophies and worldviews and sects um, of Judaism. So I, I really like that line. I wrote it down. Yeah. And Shmuel actually seems a little bit dazzled by what Leander is saying. Like he's a little. Exactly. Yep. Uh, he's not sure. Like he, it's a crack has formed. Let's say that. Um. So then we see Peter negotiating to get a boat. And I think like, I mean, Peter's just like, oh, I'm done with this. He throws the food down. He's like, I just want to get home. I'm going to go get our boat. We're going to get there as fast as we can. And almost unconcerned with Jesus, which totally fits where he's at right now. Oh, yeah. But because like, when he comes up later and says, hey, I got a boat, Jesus isn't even there. And when Jesus walks up, Peter's like, "Ugh!" <laughs> like he was going to get the disciples in a boat and take them back home. You know, whatever Jesus is doing, who even cares? But that was where he was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So the disciples are noticing the storm. Uh, Jesus comes back and says, you know, he needs some time alone to pray. They can they can all go in the boat. And uh, Simon makes a comment to John that he thinks he was a mistake. It's like, oh, like dark, dark time for for Simon. Yep. Um, Atticus is watching this whole thing unfold and he's eating some of the bread it's like okay even atticus is is getting the the benefits of this situation yeah Uh like at some point it's got to break through to atticus right i don't know um i think this is maybe a good point to talk about uh the potentially combined stories of the feedings well i'm assuming they're not going to do a second feeding which is a very prominent a historical idea that the feeding of the 5,000 to feeding of 4,000 are really just one event. Like, did it really happen twice? And you know, my position from session three, the answer to that question is yes, with very, I mean, obvious reasons. They place this feeding in the Decapolis, which as we looked at in session six, fits how John tells the story. So, I mean, there's plenty of reason and justification for them pulling these two stories together. That doesn't even bother me. And you got to pick one of them. So they picked the 12 baskets where in the Decapolis, I would want the, the 4,000, the seven baskets. I don't think they ever actually say there's 5,000 people there. So they leave the number out of it. It's actually a brilliant way to weave all of this biblical content together. They just kind of smashed all this stuff together. It, and I don't mean that in a haphazard way at all. Like really well designed, put all these stories together. But yeah, it appears that we have both feedings combined into one story, which is not a crazy idea. Lots of people harmonize it in that way and uh boy yeah, you, you have it. you're right they did not actually say the 5000 number in the episode nope nope they say they counted up to 2000 the day before yep huh that's interesting in the credits it does like they make reference to feeding the 5000 okay there so you go definitely like definitely credited that way. I think they're definitely thinking of it as the 5,000. Sure. And obviously all the other numbers are right for that. Five loaves and two fish, 12 baskets, all the other numbers are there. But if it's intentional, clever to not mention the number because then they can. Right. They can do yeah. that. So. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Well, because, yeah, are they going to use that? Um, is I think it, it is in Matthew, isn't it? Where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's like, don't don't you remember? When we fed the 5,000 and how many baskets were left over 12. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're combining even the storm on the sea stories. Um, I don't know if they're going to do the story of the demon possessed man. Uh, I don't know. 
I just don't know until we see where they head with all of that, because I think that's already depends on how you harmonize stuff. But I think that's past already when like at the end here, we haven't talked about it yet, but Jesus is going to make this comment about while he's in like while he's on water, like, have you not learned anything, which is reminiscent of that conversation where he points out the numbers of baskets, but he doesn't say that at this point. So will will it come back again later or have they again craftily put all these stories kind of seamlessly together in which case it's not going to come up and be mentioned well fair enough well uh yeah we'll see i mean we do still have uh four more seasons of this show so there's plenty of opportunity for something to happen but yeah we'll see we'll see where it's going i think we'll probably know by the next season what's going to happen with this portion of the story but i don't know we'll see so then I think one of the most fascinating uh, scenes. Agreed. I know where you're headed. Agreed. Fascinating to me. Absolutely. Night is approaching and Shmuel is wandering around, apparently still looking for his third witness. It's like, dude, there are people everywhere. But I guess I don't, they got to they got to be able to. I don't know if if they're looking for people who they feel like they can subpoena and bring to Jerusalem or I don't know what they're looking for exactly, but they're. Still looking for a witness, apparently. Well, they're probably looking for Jews, and then they're probably looking for Jews who, A, are going to carry the weight of testimony, like they have some kind of authority, and be willing to work with them, which is going to be another problem and a hurdle. So true. Um, probably not interested in having a Syrophoenician witness. That's not going to do them any good. <laughs> they need a Jewish witness. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Well, Shmuel is, uh, I mean, they do take the Syrophoenician as their first witness, though. And then they take Leander. What what is Leander's? Leander's just is he just Greek? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm assuming those are actually actual witnesses because they're going to have to agree to actually testify, and I'm not sure Leander is interested at all in helping them do anything. So I'm not sure if those are the yeah they they just make comments after the after the Syrophoenician guy after they talk to him they're like we need two more witnesses and then after they talk to Leander one of them says we need one more witness yeah not my point really um Shmuel is wandering around <laughs> and encounters Jesus and Jesus comments that he there's looks, a witness for you yeah right <laughs> yeah uh Jesus comments that he looks troubled and uh he's like why don't why don't you come with me to pray and Shmuel goes with him it's like what apparently like the scene is cut and i don't know i'm like i cannot wait like it's one of my most anticipated moments of season four and who knows they might leave me hanging even longer than that before they bring back some backstory because we're not told like we don't know what happens and i don't even know if he true it looks like he goes with jesus he makes a move that's true to f- that's true and it, you we assume he's following jesus but who knows maybe he's gonna maybe he's going the other direction i don't even know man yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated by this. I know. By the possibility (laughs) of it, I guess. Um, So then we see the disciples on the water. It's just dumping rain and they are stuck wherever they're going. The wind is working against them. Uh, I suppose we could try to figure out where, where they think this are. Cause Peter makes a comment like they're only, I think he says eight miles, right? Says they're eight miles across the sea. It would be longer to go around or whatever. So this is the faster way. Yep. We've, you know, we know how to row. I think he makes a comment to Big James about it. So we could, uh, I assume they're going back to Capernaum. Probably the harbor right by there, Tabga. Yeah, absolutely. A little eight mile, eight mile line across the Sea of Galilee and figure out where they are. But yeah. Um, yeah. So they are, they're rowing. And then we see spooky Jesus silhouette against the lightning in the sky. <laughs> John is the only one to see this at this point. Um, I was absolutely shocked when I was watching this the first time. I was like, whoa, that was creepy. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Atticus is watching the boat from the shore. He can just barely see the boat, eventually loses sight of that. Um, Andrew then sees Jesus and calls out that there's a ghost. And uh, Jesus is just slowly approaching the boat. Simon is watching Everybody else is beginning to panic. Simon's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. And then uh, Jesus calls out to Simon. Simon is sharing his heart. Um, Jesus repeats his line that he uh, used earlier about um, being weary and and burdened and I'll give you rest. And then as uh, Simon starts to step into the water, we see Eden step into the mikveh. And uh, I was trying to figure out what 
uh, what they're reciting with Eden. There's like, there's like a line from Psalm 147 verse three. Like they use that. Yeah. I'm sure it's the mikvah ritual cleansing blessing, um, which I don't know off the top of my head or know anything about historically, but I would assume that's the blessing they're reciting. Yeah. It definitely like Psalm 147 verse three is there, Uh but the stuff around it doesn't match Psalm 147. Um, later, she says something from Psalm 57 verse one, but again, like it doesn't match anything else from Psalm 57. I drove myself crazy. trying. I probably spent way too much time trying to track this down. If it's just like a separate mikvah blessing that they've put together all these pieces, it's like, okay, well that would, <laughs> I didn't even think to look it up. I was like, it's gotta be in the text somewhere. Right. Uh, yeah. But Jesus is talking about uh, strengthening Simon and Eden through trials and, Simon loses his focus on Jesus, begins to sink. Um, this is where Simon goes underwater, Eden goes under the water, and then Jesus pulls Simon out. The iconic shot from underneath the water where the hand comes through, like we've all yeah. seen that. And it wasn't like this This whole scene could have been so bad. It could have been so bad. And it wasn't. It was actually good. Um, I was impressed how they did a lot of stuff. And even that iconic shot was like, ah, but was good. They made a bunch of theological decisions there about the hand. I don't know if anybody else grew up arguing about Calvinism so much that I was like, oh, 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 like the hand was down, but Jesus waited. Peter had to make the motion to grab the hand. And then as soon as Peter, the grasp, Peter put his hand in there, but the grasp was Jesus's. So there was like this theological, like, I'm sure that was very intentional about how they did all (laughs) all that. Because there was a mixture of Jesus reaches, Peter has to make the move, but Jesus is the one that grasps. And oh my gosh, I was just like, so theologically aware of how that moment works, but yep. Well, and I just love that they took the text seriously and said, sure. Like, okay. So the disciples are terrified. They say they're seeing a ghost Yep. and they just like, okay, let's show that. How are you going to make that? Absolutely. And it, uh, like it worked for me. I was like, whoa, what the frick was that? <laughs> like yeah. I was crawling in my skin that, uh, on that first lightning strike. I was like, yeah. no, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. I yeah. believe those disciples so much that they are terrified. Like, absolutely. Yep. So, and I love that they did that. They're, they're not going to say like, oh, we're a family show. We can't scare people. It's like, well, the disciples were scared. Yep. So let's let's try to get in their shoes, and they do it. Yep. Absolutely. So I was very impressed, and I, I'm sure a lot of us have seen the clip on social media. They've shared it a bunch where they filmed that, um, and how they filmed that in this like wave pool with a little foamy platform that Jesus and Peter are standing on, and I just it was so interesting to see that behind the scenes and how they're able to pull that together cinematically to make it look as it does it's actually quite impressive so could have been a could have been a, i was not optimistic i uh, but they did it they pulled it off i was like oh, that was not bad not bad at all yeah and i think on a practical production level it makes sense the way they portrayed it but i also feel like it just seems more realistic to how it would have been as far as like, honestly, yes, absolutely. Like Jesus isn't just like floating above the water in this like angelic glow. Like, right. Like he's walking like, like the water is, is around his feet. It's not like, it's not like he's not on the sea. He's in the water, but he is walking on it. And I think the way, the way the production probably demanded that they portrayed it, I, I feel like it is the right kind of look for how it would have been. I don't know. Obviously we don't know. We can't, we can't know that, but it just felt right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. And, but there was a lot of other things that also match exactly what you're saying. Like how dark, how drenched and wet and miserable and the wind and like, yeah, everything about it was, um, yeah, it it was, could have been done a lot of different ways, but I mean, they, I was miserable just watching the scene. I'm like, get me out of here, man. I feel wet and scared and gross. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well done. So in the boat, um, you know, Simon is just weeping in Jesus's arms and, and Eden is praying for Simon in the mikvah, which is just like, oh, man. Yep. Even, even in her moment, like she's, she knows like, oh, it's not just me. Like Simon is a, 
is a part of what I'm going through too. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray for him. So I love that that connection is made. Yep. And then we have the, the Psalm 77 voiceover and, um, the, uh, we see Simon back on land. We see John in prison. We see Gaius with Evo. Uh, we see Rama practicing her writing. Simon gets home, uh, and Eden comes out and they hold each other. And then the, the absolute money part of Psalm 77 hits with, the with the line. I mean, I don't like, is there any connection to this Psalm in the text to these, to these stories of Jesus walking on the water or calming the storm or anything like, is there, is there any direct quotation? Well, if you were to come with a particular Bible teacher, uh, to Israel, it's one of the Psalms that I connect to maybe not the walking on water, but the other stories of Jesus calming the sea. Right. It's not the one that I go to. It's not the two that jump to the top of the list for me, but it's obviously a potential remez, maybe even multiple remezes at work. And, and particularly the walking on water, not just the coming on the sea, but the part about him treading, you know, your footprints weren't seen, you know, you, yet you treaded upon the water, a path was cut for you. Like, yeah, I... I mean, obviously, some great Ramez work there. I've never even considered about connecting the Ramez to the actual walking on water story, but that's a great option if we do. I mean, yeah, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it makes sense on a Ramez level. I was just wondering if there was an actual quotation. I was wondering, I was trying to like understand why they picked Psalm seventy seven because they're smarter than I anticipate. You know, they have. <laughs> They have really impressed me with their commitment to tying. I mean, artistically, of course, you tie it to other texts, and you, but I mean, golly, even from a Pardes perspective, I have really liked how hard they've worked to do that. And like I said, the first time when we were watching this episode and some of Asaph, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, walking on water, okay. And the more I watch this episode, every time I think about the content of that psalm, I'm like, man, that was well chosen. Well chosen. Yeah, it tied everything together. Oh, man. Yep. Is that it? Is that season three, Brent? Well, I mean, almost. So 76 minutes for the episode itself. Uh, pretty, right. pretty long. Four minutes for the credits. So 80-minute 80, right. 80 runtime. That's pretty... That's. I mean, that's, that's a, at least a Disney movie feature length, you know? Sure. Disney animated movie feature length. Um, pretty, pretty long episode. We have 11 minutes for contributor credits. And then I don't know if you saw this, they had eight minutes of bloopers after, after all the credits. Did you stick around for that? I've seen the bloopers isolated, but I didn't realize they were at the end of this episode. I have seen them isolated on their own. Well, they at least were, uh, at the end of the episode on the disc that I have. So oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts on season three, Marty, what do you think? Uh, it was, I think in a lot of ways it was my favorite season so far. Um, I, either either they're just winning me over and I'm becoming less critical or there was just far less things in this season that I would critique. And even the ones that I do, I'm like, ah, but I, but I appreciate that. I think one of the things that's happening through The Chosen that I really appreciate and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay with me, like it's going to keep going with me outside of The Chosen, which is... Now that I'm meeting these, you know, fictional representations of these characters, it's loosening up my own imagination because I get locked into like how I view Philip. Like, who was Philip and and Judas? Like who and and now that I've met another Judas, another potential portrayal of Judas or Philip or any of these characters, even Simon, like now I'm like, well, I'm gonna be less quick to be like, this is the way that it was. Um, and I that's healthy. It's healthy for me or anybody. And I, that's part of what I'm really appreciating, but appreciating about what the chosen is doing. Um, and what's so, f I think what is so maybe unappreciated about the power of art, biblical art and art that doesn't necessarily stick with only in the text. And the only thing we can talk about, it's what's in the Bible and no creative license. And this is actually the power of creative license and the way they're creating backstories. And yeah, we're, I think we're working on a on an interview for some bonus episode in the future. It's going to be on the other side of my sabbatical, but if we can if we can get somebody, we're going to try to talk to somebody over there about what they do and how they do it, and hopefully that'll be fun too. Yep, for sure. We'll be 
be up for that whenever uh whenever you get back um yeah i think i think what i appreciate about this season is just like the seeing the transformation of people seeing the and not everybody does it like like the zealots and and z like seeing some of them like oh they start to see what z is seeing in jesus and seeing gaius start to start to crack open seeing some of the pharisees start to crack open their perspective and yeah and there's there's plenty of people who don't which i like it's just so it makes so much sense obviously um i saw <laughs> i saw on instagram yesterday so we actually a little peek behind the curtain i sent an email yesterday out um trying to arrange an interview for a future conversation um and that same day dallas posted on the chosen social media that it's it was the middle day of they're right in the middle of who knows when i'll hear back because they're literally in the middle of filming season four right now um and they were on the middle day so it's the middle day of the middle season and somebody commented and tagged me on Instagram. They said, I think Marty Salmon would say, I smell a chiasm. And I appreciated somebody <laughs> saying that. So perfect. Who knows? When they get all done with season four, maybe they'll they'll have time to to talk to us. But um appreciated somebody adding that humorous little tag in the comments. Well, Marty, so generous of you to go on sabbatical and give them time to finish filming season four. I do what I can. I mean, uh, whatever <laughs> I can do to serve other people, it's, it's, uh, it's where I'm called. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up uh, for this uh, this bonus series. And uh, let's see, uh, coming later this week, if you're listening in real time, we've got that interview with Kat Armstrong uh, that we're excited to share and then we will um, finish up session seven Yes, and uh, Marty will be back from his sabbatical to help us close that out um, but yeah Marty as as we record you are you are embarking on your sabbatical journey I think what tomorrow basically I bet yeah I put my auto response on my email tomorrow afternoon so this is it yeah so enjoy your time and we look forward to hearing about what uh, God is doing in your heart and um, doing in your life and doing in this ministry and everything else so we will talk about all of that when you get back you got it all right uh, everyone else can go to bamonaception.com check all of the things there for the latest updates uh, we do have the the couple of links in the show notes as far as that uh, episode on the prophetic table and the addendum video on the Pharisees. And really, we might, it sounds like we might even need an addendum to the addendum, Marty. Um, <laughs> at some point, <laughs> we keep we keep learning things. So it's, yep. it's good. We're all growing together. So that's right. Thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.